Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 50, we discuss which foreign clubs are the ones that market themselves the best in the US, as well as news about the latest version of the famed football manager computer game, plus our thoughts about Carl Martino stepping down from NBC to run in the USSF presidency election. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, this is our 50th episode. Uh, who would have thought? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think when we changed the format of the show, we were concerned there wouldn't be enough to talk about from the media and television sphere uh, and streaming sphere every week. And it turns out the podcasts are longer than the old uh, 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 European football review shows we used to do, and Premier League review shows. So uh, a lot to talk about, a lot going on in the soccer world, and it's uh, it's been exciting for the last uh, 12 months or so with these 50 episodes. Absolutely. And uh, it also celebrates uh, 12 years of World Soccer Talk, uh, the website, and uh, 11 years of this podcast. Now, this podcast has gone through very many different, uh, very for- uh, different forms over the years as far as an interview show, an analysis show, kind of a chat show, uh, focusing on the Premier League, and then more on, on world football, and now into its current formats. But uh, in those 11 years, uh, it's been uh, nonstop uh, going, and actually, I believe it's the longest run running soccer podcast uh, in the, on the planet. So um, it's definitely, thank you listeners for uh, sticking with us and checking out the show. So in terms of the show for this episode, we've got a lot to talk about, but let's start off, Kartik, by talking about what you've been watching this past week. Yeah, uh, so I'll start on uh, on uh, Friday. Well, actually, I guess on Thursday of last week after we recorded, watched uh, some Europa League action, uh, Leon and Everton, uh, and it was uh, uh, Keith Costigan and Brad Friedel, if I remember correctly, and, and Everton again was dire, pitiful, pathetic, whatever adjective you want to use to describe them. They're bottom of their group in Europa League. They have been eliminated from the competition. So there was so much excitement about Everton getting back into Europe this year. Um, they are out of Europe after four match days. So that's unfortunate. And of course, they actually kind of struggled even to get to the group stage. Uh, these signs were apparent uh, before the Premier League season had started. So I uh, saw that on Friday, uh, there were uh, two very good games that were on. The Frankfurt-Werder Bremen game, which was on FS2 with uh, Jim Beglin and Paul Dempsey. Uh, Paul Dempsey, actually, the, the play-by-play announcer, talked about um, uh, the history of this podcast over 12 years. Uh, Paul Dempsey come on uh, to give some uh, some analysis of the Premier League uh, for us in his days at Satanta many times. I think he's been on this show uh, or the predecessor of the show four or five times. And I personally interviewed him three or four of those times. So uh, old, old, old familiar face for us here at World Soccer Talk. And uh, Jim Beglin, as always, uh, was fantastic in commentary. Simultaneously was watching Wolves in Frankfurt, a uh, big game. Um, and by the way, I should mention the last two Fridays, we've had Paul Dempsey as the commentator for uh, Bundesliga games that have been aired on FS1 because of um, Eric Winalda being on a leave of absence from Fox. And I, I think that's limited their Friday options. So we're getting uh, the, the, the global feed. Um, 
which is uh, which brings some familiar voices back into our homes. People who've called Premier League and Bundesliga matches for years. Uh, Wolves Fulham game, which was uh, on ESPN three. I, I can't say enough about how impressed I am by the way Wolves are playing. I think they're a team if they keep this up, not only are they going to get promoted, but we're going to be talking about them next season in the Premier League as maybe even a mid-table team, a team that um, doesn't have the relegation worry that normally newly promoted teams have. Um, the next morning, I was I watched Aston Villa and Sheffield Wednesday uh, on ESPN3. I, I have to say, Chris, when I remember – about championship games on ESPN3, which tends to be when there are no good Premier League games. Um, I, it, it's so much more of an accessible league at this point than it was a year ago uh, with BN showing one game a week or showing a game on tape delay. Yep. Um, I think BN made an effort. I thought they made a, a greater effort as time went on to air as many championship games as they could, but they just had so many other programming commitments. And obviously that's that's not an issue with, ESPN three. So yeah, the, um, the, the the only challenge with the championship, which is great that it's on ESPN three, and there's more games from the championship uh, available than ever before. But the pro- the challenge is is that for those people who, who can't watch it live, uh, they just have to rely on going to ESPN three and then hoping that um, the the matches available on on replay there, uh, which I believe some of them are, but not all of them. It's, it's a little bit inconsistent, but uh, it's definitely one of those things that. Uh, for soccer fans who are listening, also this weekend too, um, I think there's a bunch of uh, League One and League Two games that are going to be going to be on ESPN three uh, during the international break. So it's a good opportunity to watch some uh, competitive football. Yeah, so on that subject specifically, on on finding championship and football league matches on ESPN three on demand, uh, this. Past weekend, uh, the weekend we're talking about, and then this coming upcoming weekend, be patient with it. Uh, there are a lot of uh, college uh, soccer, American college soccer uh, tournament mat- matches from uh, women's and men's soccer uh, that are being dumped on ESPN3. So when you go into the archive, you have to just meticulously look for the championship games or this upcoming week for the League 1 and 2 games. Right. They're there. They're on demand. I- I've seen uh, four matches uh, just was actually just scrolling through before the podcast because I said I wanted to uh, to throw on a match and and I'm watching the the, the aforementioned Wednesday Villa match I'm watching again as we uh, record this podcast and, and the opening goal from Reach just uh, just now on on, on the volley. Uh, but uh, you have to scroll through. I have to scroll through about uh, 10 or 12 college soccer games to get uh, to find this game again. So uh, be patient with that. That's good to know. Uh, there were some. Pre- yeah, that, that's that's why I think it's difficult to find. They have a lot of uh, – they typically don't have a lot of soccer content, right, on the archive, mm-hmm. but these few, few weeks they will. Um, so uh, obviously watch that game, as I mentioned, uh, Aston Villa and Sheffield Wednesday. Then um, the match of the weekend that we were largely excited about was – was, excuse me, was uh, Borussia Dortmund playing host to Bayern. And uh, Brewer Dortmund were very poor other than Christian Pulisic and got beat 3-1. Mm-hmm. They didn't take their chances when they had them. And this is the – Dortmund went several seasons without losing a game at home and now have lost successive matches at home. Granted, they're two, Leipzig and, and Bayern, the other top, top two teams in the league, and they went away and lost to Hanover, who's having a very good season. Uh, but uh, real, real warning signs and, and very disappointing performance for me from Dortmund. But uh, the American Christian Pulisic uh, – was very very good. That was the one bright uh, bright spot for uh, for Dortmund and Peter Bosch, the uh, Dortmund coach, said that he was the uh, he was the best coach. Uh, he was the best player for them uh, in this match. Yeah, Kartik, that's the frustrating thing about these uh, Dortmund uh, Bayern Munich games is that it's the biggest match of the season, always is, and it's always disappointing. It seems to be that um, for whatever reason, which is of, oftentimes Bayern Munich just running the show. Uh, I just want to see a more competitive game. I mean, in the studio, you had everything set to be a perfect uh, broadcast. You had uh, Keith Costigan and Ian Joy doing an excellent job on the commentary. You had Kate Abdo, Yovan uh, Karoski, and Ian Joy in the studio. Everything was was set perfectly, except the match just just was was really disappointing, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I, I think there are varying ways that people interpret this. I think people like uh, a number of people like the, f- the fact that the Bundesliga has uh, doesn't have a predictable top four or top six every year. Uh, you have teams like uh, uh, Hanover this season thus far, uh, Hoffenheim last season, uh, Mönchengladbach uh, a year before. Uh, clubs like that popping into the top four somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, Mönchengladbach did it two successive years. But the flip side of it is the predictability at the very top where Dortmund and now Leipzig have not run Bayern as close as I think a lot of outsiders, a lot of neutrals like to see. So, uh, and since the Pikins has gotten to Bayern, uh, they've gotten 12 points. They've won 12 points at the same, uh, in the same period, which is since the October international break, four matches, four match days. Uh, Borussia Dortmund has won. So what was a five-point Dortmund lead uh, now is a six-point Bayern lead, and goal difference has reversed mm-hmm. in that period. So that's, um, I think, of great concern to people who want to see a competitive league. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Bayern Munich, you're, you're uh, happy as anything. But uh, for the neutrals, it's just, it's, it's just it's disappointing. Uh, it does tarnish my interest in, in the Bundesliga a little bit, but... Uh, Life goes on. I, I, I still enjoy watching the Bundesliga, but uh, I think that that's a, a key element that they, they need to fix in the future at, at some point. Yeah, so uh, continuing, I watched uh, the Brentford-Leeds game, which took place at this time, uh, same time later on demand on ESPN3, and uh, Brentford were very good in the game. Uh, another difficult loss for Leeds. Uh, they're, they're sliding down the table pretty quickly, so won't be surprised if there's a, uh, a management change there and Christensen is out. Uh, Speaking of management changes, Liverpool-West Ham going on at the same time. That proved to be Slavin Bilic's last match. A very, very uninspired performance from West Ham. Uh, it was disappointing. I think uh, uh, the Mikel Antonio uh, mistake at the end of the game against Palace the previous week, that hangover got to them this week. They get uh, run off the pitch. Mo Salah, once again, brilliant going forward for Liverpool. Questions about Liverpool's defense, but... Um, Good match there. Uh, next morning, City Arsenal on NBC um, with the build-up and, and everything going on at halftime. And, and after the match, we didn't realize it would be uh, Colin Martino's last day on NBC, at least for a while, um, if not forever, <laughs> depending on what happens in, uh, in the USSF presidential election. Following that, they had the three-man booth again for Manchester United and Chelsea. This match was um, a little more entertaining than maybe it's been given credit for, in my estimation. The thing, though, Chris, is I think, you know, this is a theme you and I have been on for years and years and years. But there was a, a, a charm offensive and, and an unwillingness for many of the um, the journalists in, in the U.K. to uh, to take a pop at Mourinho for his tactics. Now, that's not the case anymore. With the exception of uh, the few hand-picked journalists that are still close to Jose, I think it's open season anytime a Jose Mourinho-managed team, and these days Manchester United, goes away from home to another big side. And um, I, I felt like United was a little more aggressive and a little more open than they ha- have been in the Mourinho era, away from home in these sorts of matches. That's not to say they set up to try and win the game. They didn't, but they did um, attempt to, uh, to, to to keep the ball um, and dictate tempo a little more than they typically do in these matches, uh, but they reverted to form eventually, and Chelsea got the goal and uh, were able to, sh- to shut it down because United had uh, didn't have the, the, the effective options uh, that they needed, right, with Paul Pogba out of the team in, in midfield. Uh, Bakayoko was brilliant in this game. We, we saw Finally, I think the uh, the skill level we had seen from him, particularly in Euro- Europe, the last few seasons for Monaco. So that was uh, that was great. Um, watched uh, Louisville City Red Bull New York uh, uh, two game. That was the previous night. I should have mentioned that that was a uh, USL playoff game that went to pen- uh, the penalty kicks and Louisville advanced to Louisville host uh, who beat. Um, OKC Energy uh, in the USL Cup this weekend, uh, or actually not this weekend, on Monday night. Uh, and that game, I believe, is on ESPNU. That will be at Slugger Field. 
in Louisville, and the Monday night is in order to get it a uh, a free time slot uh, on that ESPN network. Uh, and then, of course, um, the um, the uh, next day, uh, uh, going, we're getting back to Sunday, a lot of MLS playoff action: Toronto, New York Red Bulls, uh, NYCFC, and Columbus. Uh, the the Toronto Red Bull game was uh, was John Champion calling that match. Uh, odd to see him calling an MLS match the same weekend that there's so many Premier League and Championship games going on, yep. and we normally hear his voice two or three times on the weekend. Um, but uh, ESPN flew him over to call this game, and uh, he's been in studio much of the week on ESPN FC. Made an appearance uh, this week on the Max and Herc podcast, which I encourage anyone. Uh, who's interested to to listen to uh, this week or to watch? Uh, very very good um, uh, stuff as usual from John Champion. And as I said, he's been in the ESPN FC studio, uh, having to deal with uh, the likes of Craig Burley, um, which is with someone we know he's worked with for so many years, going back to Santa days. So they have a good camaraderie and good chemistry. Um, Portland Houston. That game was not on ESPN. That game was on FS1. Uh, I have one takeaway from that match. Uh, well, I have a lot of takeaways from the match in terms of analysis and, and uh, Albert Ellis and Houston and how well they played, how well their Honduran plays, players played, which is great for Honduras going into this intercontinental playoff with uh, with um, Australia. But um, my big takeaway from the game was Alexi Lawless' facial expression when Rob Stone mentioned uh, that uh, Darlington Nagby was potentially going to get called into the U.S. men's national team for the friendly against Portugal. Now, Nagby didn't get called in. I think many of us are relieved by that, including Lawless. But Lawless's facial expression was priceless. And it was one of those things where, again, I think he scripted not to say anything because Nagby – in fact, minutes later, there was an MLS commercial that featured Nagby as the featured player. There's been a, an, an agenda where – um, guys like Darlington Nagby, who are MLS lifers, uh, guys like Jorge Villafania, who won the Swainio MLS contest to get into, um, to, to, to even get into the national team. Guys like Paul Ariola, who, uh, were, uh, couched as big signings this year in MLS, uh, were not to be criticized in the wake of the U.S. defeat in Trinidad, but, uh, all the, um, Attention and, and, and booing and um, media critique was directed toward uh, really two players, Josie Altador and uh, and Michael Bradley. And I can't help now think I thought part of it was it was a lazy, easy narrative. But now there are people pointing out to me it's probably because they play, even though they're an MLS, they play for a Canadian club and not an American club. And that uh, – and, I, and I've thought that some, so many of these arguments and reactions are xenophobic to begin with. Mm-hmm. But um, that, that takes it to a whole new level because those two guys are playing in Canada. And that yeah. was something I never thought about. But that's been pointed out. We, and I would we, urge we, Lawless and the other commentators to tr- treat these other U.S. players the same way they've treated Bradley and, and Altidore. Right. We've seen this before, though, too, Kartik, with uh, like Wayne Rooney, I think, coming, coming back from a disappointing World Cup and having uh, even David Beckham, I think, when he got sent off against Argentina. There's, there's been times where for, for maybe a couple yeah. of weeks you have fans booing them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not good to see in terms of that. But uh, interesting viewpoints in terms of maybe the Canadian side of things, whether that was played into it or not. I'm, I didn't see the match, so, so I, I can't say. I didn't see the match, so, so I can't say. Yeah, the Rooney thing, well, I, I sounded off on that on this show or on the predecessor show seven years ago. It was the 2010 World Cup when uh, England came back uh, and came back really having been – I mean, they, they finished behind the U.S. in their group. That's how bad they were. Um, and um, – Wayne Rooney uh, just got so much abuse hurled at him uh, ground after ground. That's absolutely right. And that abuse was not uh, given to other England players. So maybe it is always the stars or the big games that are singled out. Uh, but for me, guys like Nagby had a lot more to do with the U.S. not being in the World Cup than Michael Bradley. That's my personal opinion. Um, so anyway, um, I can't stress, Chris, uh, just closing out this discussion of what I watched, how good – the quality of play has been in the MLS postseason and how much I've enjoyed it. Um, but that contrast uh, to, to the regular season, I, I cannot 
stress enough as well how poor this regular season was, how uninteresting it was for me for the most part, and how uh, there there were very few compelling storylines or reasons to watch matches when they were on. And oftentimes I would force myself to watch MLS matches because I feel like it's an obligation and I have to do it. Maybe you've done the same thing during the regular season. Uh, So this is, I think, a, a reminder to everybody out there that Major League Soccer has a lot of quality in it. It has a lot of quality players. I mentioned for Houston, several of those guys are going to play prominent roles this weekend uh, in the Intercontinental Playoff for Honduras uh, as they try and uh, defeat uh, Australia to reach reach their third successive World Cup. Uh, But you don't see this passion. You don't see this intensity. You don't see this level of play in the regular season. And it's a byproduct of the regular season not meaning much. And uh, quite honestly, and I, and I hate to keep bringing up this issue because I've been on it lately, and part of it's been because it's been talked about in the USSF race, when MLS plays, which is in the hottest months of the season, it doesn't lend itself to entertaining football at all yep. or, or open football. So um, it's, it's the same thing. Every the year. playoffs have been it's very good, but I think it just reinforces to me how bad MLS's structure is. Right, exactly. It's the same thing that happens every season. It's yeah. like there's some exciting Maybe. games, and, yeah, you're probably right. and a lot of people miss out on them because there's other. I mean, there's NFL games, or there's World Series, or there's other sports going going on at the same time. So it's uh, same old, same old. I mean, hopefully, um, hopefully there's there's some changes in the future. But uh, I know there's been talk, but uh, we've been talking about this for years. Um, now, in terms of kind of some of the stuff I've been watching, Kartik, for this past week or so. Uh, many of the same things that you watched, except for I watched Swansea against Brighton. I watched this one uh, on NBC Sports Gold um, after I got home from my kids' uh, soccer games uh, in on Saturday. And and this is w- without any bias at all, but there's no shadow of a doubt that Swansea is absolutely the worst team in the Premier League right now. It's absolutely appalling how poor they are, um, and they're guaranteed uh, to go down unless there's any major changes, uh, whether it's managerial or, or new transfer signings coming in. But they were absolutely woeful. This is probably the worst Swansea game I've ever seen them play, um, and, and this is going back for decades. Absolutely pitiful wow and, and going back. i mean i mean i mean they couldn't complete free kicks they couldn't did you see them at white hart lane kicks. last year uh, they were better at white hart lane at least white hart lane for the first like maybe 15 minutes because i had they're, remarked they're competitive so kartik uh, something else i watched this weekend which was actually a lot more pleasurable than watching swansea was the extra uh, so on saturday i missed most of the matches uh, just just again, mostly soccer for my, my kids. Uh, tuned in to watch the extra on BN Sports and was really glad that, that I did because there was a segment there by Thomas Rongan and Gary Bailey. Uh, they were on, on set. It was called Coach's Corner, where they uh, dis- dissected how Barcelona's uh, Alcazar played a key role in midfield and attack in that match. And it was really Rongan and Bailey have such great chemistry together. Uh, not just that, but they also have. Uh, great tactical awareness in terms of being able to explain uh, positioning or explain tactics and, and, and formations and individual players and you know, how these players rotate, uh, done on television with the TV replays. And it was really, really well done. And uh, I, I definitely uh, implore any of the listeners that uh, hasn't, haven't had a chance to watch the extra, definitely check it out because it's highly recommended. Plus, on weekends too, they have all of the uh, highlights from all the matches. So I got to see... Premier League highlights, as well as La Liga, uh, Liga, and, and some other matches. But uh, all in all, uh, a great job by being sports there. And actually, to me, like the analysis there is better than Fox than anything that Fox does in terms of. I mean, Fox doesn't really do tactical analysis other than you know, kind of uh, those big giant screens for Champions League, and then they kind of move this player is going to go here, this player is going to go there. Very, very dumbed down. Last but not least, Kartik, I did miss. The MLS games on uh, Sunday. Instead, I watched uh, Miami FC against New York Cosmos uh, on BN Sports. It was the uh, NASL Championship semifinal. You had uh, Andres Cordero and uh, Matteo Bonetti uh, commentating this one. And to me, Kartik, this game was actually very enjoyable to watch. It was a nil-nil game, went to penalty kicks. But in this one, it was uh, in terms of the, the playing level, it was, it was almost like watching a Serie A derby. Uh, both managers set the teams up perfectly. We're playing good football. 
Uh, both of them were well coached, excellent movement uh, on and off the ball, uh, great cre- creativity, and, and really kind of pleasing on the eye. It was just a kind of a perfectionist uh, s- soccer match in some some ways, just without the goals. So it was m- missing that excitement level, but uh, overall I enjoyed it. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news, and uh, I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, Football Manager 2018 will launch uh, on November 10th, uh, which is Friday in the United States. Uh, We've got a review up on the World Soccer Talk uh, website. I I was able to play the game uh, very, very – not to to my satisfaction. Football Manager isn't like FIFA where you can play it once and (laughs) pick up everything, right? Uh, You you have to spend hours on it. So I started a a save with uh, Watford and, and played the Football Manager Cup the FM Cup against uh, AFC Wimbledon. Uh, those are the two football manager-sponsored teams and have uh, all the details you might want over at our website, worldsoccertalk.com. Yeah, definitely. With a football manager, too, it's, uh, it's one of those games that uh, once you get into it and enjoy it, it's, uh, it's very addictive. And uh, by looking at this one in terms of some of the, the new features, um, kind of the social side of things, kind of uh, cliques, like, so within dressing rooms, there's kind of, yep. I mean, you kind of have your, maybe all the French speakers uh, kind of get together in, in their own group. And there's a lot of, uh, it's very, very detailed. And the more you get in, into it, the more immersive it gets. So, so definitely check that out. Yeah, I've, I've had to, I have to say, I've historically, the last few years, played a lot with Watford because it. It's a, it's a sponsored team by Football Manager, and there's uh, there there uh, there's more detail, I think, to the to that team uh, playing with them. So you can just imagine Watford with so many different nationalities on their club, how challenging it's going to be with this new feature. So I'm I'm actually looking forward to diving into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so check it out, uh, Football Manager 2018 on Friday, November 10th, and onwards will be ready uh, for uh, purchase. Uh, in other news, Kartik, uh, Carl Martino has taken a hiatus from NBC Sports uh, to run in the USSF presidential uh, election. He will be replaced by the two Robbies. So uh, instead of having the three of them kind of rotate, it's going to be the two Robbies uh, for probably the next few months. Uh, if Kyle fails to win... He has said that NBC Sports will hire him back after the election ends, I think, in February, I think it is. Uh, meanwhile, Taylor Twellman has tweeted this week that uh, Brad Friedel is the number one candidate for the job at uh, New England Revolution, which was followed by a story, I think, a day or two later by Ives uh, Glossop. Uh, and he mentioned that uh, he said the deal has been done. Although nothing official from the, the revs yet as of the recording of this podcast. But uh, it makes me wonder, Kartik, if, uh, if the U.S. had qualified for the World Cup, whether Brad Friedel may have uh, decided to stick with uh, Fox Sports rather than take the coaching job. What do you think? I think that it would have been more of a consideration. I think maybe uh, he, he's been uh, trying to get into coaching, and as he talked about in an interview I did with him uh, a few months ago, he, he spent some time with Mauricio Pochettino and, and the Spurs staff uh, learning the game so he could take his coaching exam. I, I think he's wanted to coach, but, yeah, he might have waited till after the World Cup. You're right. All right, Kartik. So for the next uh, piece of news, I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but uh, – Turner Sports had a short segment uh, this past weekend on their uh, Inside the NBA show, and it was to promote uh, their coverage of the UEFA Champions League. Did you get a, ch- a chance to, to watch that or see that? Uh, yeah, and it was cringeworthy from my perspective. Okay. Well, let me, let me play it for those listeners who missed it. it. It's pretty short, but let me go ahead and play that for you so you guys can kind of uh, hear what they had to say about soccer. So here, here goes. Ross Barkley, he never, he never touched it. it. Uh, I, I just he feel, never I, touched it. I understand it. but I just, All he had to do was touch the ball and it would have been done. I don't think all that should have counted. I'm not going to well, lie. You can't change the rules because you just don't like the way it goes. So you must be uh, quite the <laughs> soccer aficionado if you know the rules that way. I don't know all the rules. I know that one. Did you know we're, uh, that we're in the soccer business now? At Turner? Oh, I we, do what? know that. Yeah, we uh, do a deal with uh, UEFA, the uh, Champions League. First of all, and the Europa No, League. let me tell you something. I, 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 no, I want to bought that deal. Beginning Why? next summer. Because any sport that the United States sucks in, we should not be involved in it. Well, I'm sure the Turner execs are well, we to just suck that. this year. Well, wait, um, we don't suck at soccer? This year. Yeah. We don't suck. We just didn't get into the world. Over 340 so, matches so on TV. that means TV. we suck. <laughs> no, that doesn't no, mean it means we suck. Digital That's streams <laughs> and bleacher report. Doesn't mean you suck. And, yes, and, we, and we have a special guest. We so, Kartik, we, we, we talked about this in, in last week's episode, too, that um, with people, with the U.S. not making it into the World Cup, that people are going to say 
that uh, soccer sucks. Like, why should I bother watching yeah. uh, soccer? And here you have uh, Charles Barkley on uh, on TNT talking, saying exactly that, and looking. I, I, he's probably partly joking, but he's looking like a fool. And to me, this is not a good representation of Turner Sports and UEFA Champions League. This doesn't. Uh, I don't think this is going to win over any mainstream fans to get them to watch uh, the Champions League next year. What do you think? No, I, I would agree with that. I think it's probably, uh, quite honestly, uh, uh, I mean, we, we get mocked a lot as soccer fans. And I mean, I, just, I remember the days when uh, uh, ESPN, uh, they, would, they would have sports center lead-ins to, uh, to Premier League games or MLS games and make fun of the player names and you know, deliberately mis- mispronounce people's names. I'll call Thierry Henry, Henry uh, for, for example. Yeah. And it just harkens back to that when you, you have a network that hasn't covered soccer um, and has uh, classic American sports personalities um, making snarky comments. And that's uh, hopefully that's not what we get from Turner Sports. I do appreciate the fact they tried to um, try to uh, promote it during an NBA game. Look, the overlap demographic between soccer uh, and the NBA is much greater from at least where I sit. And my I've never done an actual formal survey, but uh, informal uh, conversations and surveys with fans across the country than it is with the NFL. Mm-hmm. There's more of a synergy between basketball fans and, and soccer fans. I think for obvious reasons, I don't want to get into the politics or demographics, but, um, but there's, there are reasons for that. So it, it probably was a smart strategy from Turner to try and plug it during an uh, NBA game more than when NBC plugs the Premier League during a uh, of NFL games, and I'm not sure that has much of an impact. But um, then you get this kind of snarky response, and it just doesn't look good. Yeah, it's not just snarky too, but also it, it looks like they don't know what they're talking about. They're just kind of saying right, ignorant, things. ignorant. Right, exactly. So, so Karthik, for the last piece of news for the, the news section, uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and read this one because this is uh, some exciting news. Yeah, Amazon and Manchester City announced a groundbreaking new Amazon Prime video behind the scenes multi-part exclusive series following um, the, uh, the, the, the te- a team that's won the Premier League twice, won top flight title four times in total, uh, Man City, through the uh, entire 2017-2018 eight, uh, series. The Amazon Prime original series will offer f- fans a glimpse into the historic club, its legendary coach Pep Guardiola, and week uh, on week stories that uh, that unfold within the lives of players um, and uh, and the club, which, of course, is at this point eight points clear on top of the Premier League table. Um, the series will launch exclusively on uh, Amazon Prime Video in 2018. Prime members will be able to stream the series via Amazon Prime Video app for TVs and also connected devices, including the Fire. If you have a Fire tablet, it'll be built right into your tablet, and you can watch this. Uh, uh, TV, mobile devices, uh, and others. You can order online at Amazon.co.uk. Um, members can also download the series to mobile devices, which if you have an Amazon Fire, you'll be able to do for offline viewing at no additional cost to their membership. Uh, the series will be a global release and available on Amazon Prime Video for members to watch the uh, uh, series in 200 in more than 200 countries and territories. It's real exciting news. Do you ha- do you have uh, Amazon Prime, Kartik? I do have Amazon Prime. I, I probably use it every day, to be honest with you. Um, watch something like last night. I just watched a uh, an American Experience uh, documentary on Dolly Madison on Amazon Prime. Uh, and I have a Fire tablet, too. And I have the Fire tablet, even though I use my iPad tablet for everything I do uh, in terms of, of, of computing and, and, and uh, work. I uh, use that Fire tablet exclusively to, to read some of my Kindle books. I have a Kindle as well. But also for that express purpose, which is to download Prime programs and watch them uh, at my convenience. And uh, I will download this entire series, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, even though I'm not a Manchester City supporter, I, I am an Amazon Prime customer, but this is something I would uh, definitely enjoy watching. It seems like it's... A good idea in terms of like, trying to get people to, to sign up for Amazon Prime, and here's a great way of doing that. Now, also t- testing it, too, to see, okay, what is the interest level among soccer fans to a documentary series like this? Could Amazon Prime in the future have some, uh, some uh, streaming rights and put some of those games or leagues up on there? Uh, it's a great te- test case, and, uh, and, and this season, Kartik is probably better than any in terms of following City, in terms of finding out what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, with the, the team doing so well in the Premier League and, and Champions League. 
So let's move on to TV ratings. Uh, we don't have all the numbers in yet, but we will publish them at worldsoccertalk.com uh, in the next day or two. Uh, some of the big ones that came out of this past week was uh, 782,000 for Chelsea against Man United. Uh, that was on Sunday on NBCSN. Uh, the West Ham-Liverpool match was uh, disappointing. It was uh, 676,000 on NBC over the air on Saturday. Uh, meanwhile, the Man City-Arsenal game, uh, 642,000 people watched that one on NBCSN. How about some of the other ones, Kartik? Any, any other numbers that jump out at you? Any other numbers that jump out at you? Uh, just, I think, kind of poor across the board. I... I, I... Uh, thought that 307 for Toronto Red Bulls were pretty uh, was pretty good. That was on uh, on ESPN uh, w- with John Champion calling the match, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, but there wasn't uh, uh, there wasn't a real standout number from the uh, MLS uh, playoffs. 265 for Portland Houston on FS1 was better than the previous FS1 broadcast in this playoffs. But uh, not I-, I was disappointed by the 676 for West Ham Liverpool and. Uh, Dortmund and uh, Bayern did not clear 200,000, which is also very disappointing. Uh, it just uh, a bad weekend across the board. Other than Chelsea United having 782,000, which is a big number for NBCSN. Uh, generally, when you see those kinds of numbers, gaudy numbers for Premier League broadcasts are on over the air NBC. Uh, but with that exception, it seems like a lot of fans were watching uh, uh, American football all weekend and just tuned in for that one Premier League game in terms of soccer. And that's uh, unfortunate. Absolutely. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to the mailbag. And uh, the first one is from Rob Keith. He sent this in through email. He says, one issue with NBC Sports has been bothering me for a while is their in-match replays. Um, So he says says that too often they are cutting away from the live action on the pitch uh, to show a replay from two or sometimes three different angles. During the replays, you can clearly hear the crowd noise rise and you know something is happening, but they continue to show the replay anyway. If it happened once or twice, that would be one thing, but it seems to happen over and over again every single week. There was one instance in the Chelsea Man United match where NBC showed a replay three times, and by the time it cut back to the live action, uh, Mkhitaryan was lying on the floor, and we had no idea what had happened. They also have a bad habit of keeping the camera focused on the bench while this match is going on, and the same situation occurs. This adds no value to the match experience and is extremely frustrating to the viewer. Love the show, guys, and keep up the good work. So, so Kartik, I mean, I mean to, to answer Rob, um, in terms of the TV feeds, NBC Sports has no control over that. So that's the, the world feed that goes out. So whether in, you're in the UK, US, or anywhere in the, in the world, we're all watching the, the same visuals. So, but it, it comes down to the, the producer who's at the stadium, um, in, 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 who's going from camera to camera. And, and that's the thing, too, with the technology these days, and with so many different camera angles, that there is a kind of an overindulgence in, in perhaps uh, showing too many replays from different angles, especially if it's something uh, controversial. Meanwhile, the match is going on. So it is, um, I put it down to poor production at times, that uh, they need to kind of uh, it, know when, keep one eye on the pitch and see what's happening, but also know when to uh, break away from, from a replay or only show a couple of angles rather than the whole thing. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's overproduction. Honestly, I agree with you completely. Yeah, plus, plus uh, kind of the focus on the bench, too. Uh, in a match like this with Mourinho and uh, Conte, there's going to be some uh, cameras on them. And, and that's something that's, uh, I don't know, to me, it's uh, just focus on the pitch. I think that's really where the action is. So it's, um, unfortunately, NBC can't control it. So that, that's, uh, it's, not, it's not them. It's just uh, they're providing the audio commentary, but, but not the visual commentary. So or the visual effects or match. Next up is Tim, and he sent this in through uh, the comments section on willsoccertalk.com. He says, I know this is a a good thing for ratings short term, and this is talking about last week's podcast where we said Columbus Crew is the best thing that could have happened to MLS in a long time uh, because of TV ratings. Uh, But he says it's bad for MLS. I don't think people realize how many people like myself uh, gave MLS a chance, and after finding out that they want to move in an original team that started it all, and has supported MLS from day one, um, we are done. This is not just the owner. This is the league for letting it happen as well. I started to be skeptical after Jermaine uh, Jones signed, and then there was a blind draw to put him on a team. Literally, 
put a name, a team name in a hat and pick, picked out probably. MLS just feels like WWE for soccer fans. You know the athletes are real, but giving real uh, effort. Uh, and you, you know the athletes are real and giving real effort, but the end result is contrived and manufactured. What were your thoughts on this one, Kartik? What do you think? Yeah, the Jermaine Jones thing was embarrassing. Um, and, and he he then went to a team, New England, that was not very good and carried them all the way to the MLS Cup because he he, he came after the World Cup in 2014 and just um, carried them all the way. So that was, uh, uh, yeah, WWE for, for, for soccer. It was, uh, it was bizarre, and uh, there were just uh, – Things MLS does, I mean, they go back and forth. At times they try and pretend like they're, they, they operate like any other league in the world, and obviously without promotion and relegation. And then at other times they, uh, they look like a very kind of American manufactured entertainment uh, product, not a soccer product at all, not a proper professional league. Mm-hmm. Next up is Tom. Uh, you also sent this in through the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com. He says, we have been somewhat long-distance fans of the Columbus crew for more than a decade and went to the 2006 World Cup in Germany with other fans of the team to see the U.S. games. Great group of people and a good time, despite the team's performances there. This contrived move may be just soccer business for MLS, but I'll treat the move as a betrayal of a genuinely spirited fan base who represent a team deserving of better. When the Major League Baseball puts business ahead of the World Series in 1994, they lost me as a fan, and MLS will lose me here, too, if they move from Columbus. Now, Kartik, some, some pretty pointed words there, too. But I think there's a, there's a lot of fans that feel that way, whether you're a Columbus fan or not. It just it's, uh, it feels very NFL in terms of uh, what they're trying to do and uh, does not feel like a kind of a, a football-soccer spirit in terms of... Uh, it seems like they're just ripping the soul out of the game and, and by, by doing this. So hopefully, uh, it doesn't look likely, but hopefully they'll fig- figure out a way to keep uh, Columbus in Columbus. Moving on, Kartik, uh, Scott from McAllen, Texas, sent in an email. He says, uh, what has me watching the Columbus crew in the playoffs is that the story reminds me of one of my favorite movies, Major League. If I remember correctly, the league would, wouldn't let the, the owner move the team unless they finished dead last. What ended up happening was that the team started to come together and win, so the owner started sabotaging the facilities <laughs> to make them less comfortable. Then there's that Tom Berenger famous line uh, when, uh, when they found out her plan and they would all be cut, cut by the end of the season and the team relocated to Miami and he said, uh, we, we're going to win this whole effing thing. Uh, last but not least, uh, Wolniak uh, through Twitter says, uh, it's easy to say just align the MLS calendar with European calendar. We currently have three teams playing in major NFL stadiums. That is a logistical nightmare. So everyone knows it's hard to get public money from stadiums, uh, for stadiums. It's getting even harder to get land for them. Then there are places that are too cold to play in during the winter. And then there are stadium sharing plans in Canada to consider. Current MLS schedule inflates MLS and their team's valuation of players, making players like Nagby relatively expensive. It also makes bids for transfer targets relatively more expensive. If you wanted August through May calendar, playoffs overlap with NBA and NHL playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Currently, MLS playoffs overlap with Major League Baseball playoffs and NFL, uh, NBA, and NHL regular seasons. Pick your poison. The MLS schedule was born out of having to share stadiums with NFL teams. As we move away from stadium sharing, a switch is more likely. So some uh, some good feedback there, Kartik. I, th- I think in terms of the, the calendar, um, there's no perfect solution. I mean, there's always going to be some overlap. There's always going to be some issues. But there is a way, there's a better way than what, what we currently have. And I think uh, Eric Winalda has, has a lot of those thoughts in terms of uh, how to fix things. Yeah, he's talked a lot about this for, for years, actually. And uh, Wolniak brings up a great point about the the schedule was initiated the way it was because it was born out of uh, a, a need to share stadiums with NFL teams, uh, and that's not there anymore. So uh, we'll see how all this, uh, this plays out. 
Okay, Kartik, let's move on to our featured topic of the week, and that is uh, which foreign clubs have marketed themselves the best in the United States? Conversely, uh, based on our experience, and this is like 12 years of dealing with a lot of these clubs in terms of uh, PR opportunities as well as speaking to uh, a lot of the uh, kind of people within the, uh, these clubs, which clubs have done the worst jobs uh, based on our experience in dealing with them? So, so we're going to name and shame probably a few clubs. Uh, I will at least. Um, now, Kartik, I'm going to tell you the team name, and you let me know whether you think they're doing a, a great job or a poor job in terms of marketing themselves in the United States. And, and this is marketing from a not just a PR p- perspective, but uh, in terms of um, working closely with supporters groups, uh, doing a good job at, uh, at letting people know that you I mean they're they're, they're here uh, and and they play in the United States or play friendlies or or uh, actually actively involved and interested in, in building their fan base in the United States. So I'll kick it off, Kartik. I'll ask you the first one, and that's uh, Arsenal. No, they've done a very poor job in spite of having American ownership for the better part of a decade now. Uh, they don't come to this country. There's no real kind of connection or presence. Uh, they started with a much larger fan base in this country uh, 15 years ago than uh, most of the other clubs you're going to name on this list, and uh, they have not done a good job. And I think uh, well, we'll get to their North London rivals in a few minutes, but I think it's in direct contrast to what Spurs have done. Yeah, I think Arsenal is uh, an example of how not to market uh, a club in the United States in terms of uh, when they have come over for friendlies, it's been kind of one friendly here, one friendly there, whether it's in a uh, MLS All-Star game or if it's in a, a friendly uh, in New York or New Jersey. And um, it's, I think the, the time that they played a few years ago was the first time in about 20 years or maybe 15 years that they'd come, come to the United States. A lot of this is from Marcin Wenger in terms of wanting his clubs to uh, only train in Austria and, and uh, I mean, kind of uh, in Europe. But as we've seen in the past couple of years too, now that they've been playing in, I think, Australia and Asia, uh, there's no excuse at this point. So, so hopefully they'll, they'll start to change things around. Um, and like you said, Kartik, it is a shame because at one point, probably probably a decade ago, Arsenal would have been probably the number two most su- uh, supported club, or maybe number three in the United States. Uh, not so more. Uh, not so much anymore. So moving on, Kartik, next one, uh, Bayern Munich. Yeah, I think they've done a, a, a reasonably good job, uh, given the the limitations and exposure for the Bundesliga. Uh, they've got a lot of Bayern fans in this country. They have a New York office. Uh, Christian Niari, our friend, uh, staffs that office, uh, for, our colleague in, in the soccer media world. And they have a uh, a real kind of robust connection with their supporters groups throughout the country and, and uh, do events for them, et cetera. Yeah, I'd say Bayern Munich out of uh, all of the clubs in Europe, no, not all the clubs, but most of the clubs in Europe probably do one of the best jobs in terms of marketing themselves in the United States, um, in terms of just uh, working closely, trying to build that net- network, especially with the supporters clubs. And uh, they're pretty accessible too. It's, it's not a, uh, an ego thing where, where sometimes we've contacted clubs in the past before, for whether it's for interviews or other opportunities and um, Usually, this, you know, sometimes those big clubs, you get no response at all. It's as if you don't even exist. Uh, Bayern Munich has definitely been uh, very active in, in interfacing, not just with the, the press in the U.S. and doing different press events, but also with, um, with the fans. Um, so it's uh, onwards and upwards for them. Speaking of onwards and upwards, uh, what about Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, they, they probably are at the top of this list or near the top of the li- this list. They've done very well, in my estimation, in terms of... Uh, Developing new fans, uh, PR opportunities for uh, U.S. media outlets, including uh, U.S.-based media outlets, including us, on several occasions. Uh, they come to this country now regularly, and uh, I, I don't know if there's another team in Europe that's seen its uh, fan base in this country grow as rapidly in the last uh, last decade as, as Spurs. Uh, they're probably they're a model of what to do if you're not a title-winning club in one of these major European leagues. How, how to uh, attack the U.S. market? Uh, I think it's also helped that as more and more fans watch the Premier League in the in this country, uh, they want to support a club from London, but they don't want to support they don't want to be seen as front runners. So uh, they don't support Arsenal or Chelsea. They just naturally gravitate to Spurs because Spurs are never going to get relegated. If you support West Ham uh, or Fulham, we had so many Fulham supporters in this country, and now they're they're, they're busy uh, trying to uh, scrounge to find championship games on, on television or on ESPN3 now. So uh, Spurs are a safe landing spot for a lot of American fans, and they've taken advantage of that. 
Yeah, and you just have to go by just even in a number of uh, Tottenham Hotspur shirts or jerseys you've seen over the past decade. I mean, it's grown. I mean, I, I see them everywhere now, and and there's a lot, lot of it is, is new fans to soccer. Um, and new fans to the Premier League, and a lot of them are gravitating towards Spurs. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the new White Hart Lane, too, when that's uh, open next next year, uh, with that also being a uh, NFL stadium. So it's going to be uh, sharing that ground with an NFL team or having an NFL team pl- uh, play there. So that plays right into, in terms of uh, trying to capture the American mainstream, and uh, they've got a great strategy, and, it, and it's working. What about uh, PSG? Yeah, PSG's done a a decent job in the last few years. Obviously, they have the the natural connection with being sport uh, and all the all the investments from Carter in, in the United States. Uh, I think maybe they could do a better job, but they're limited by their lack of history and by a league that just has very little exposure in the United States. Uh, look, look, PSG is a relatively new club by European standards, 1970s it was founded. So I think they're doing decently, but they could certainly do much better. Yeah, for me, PSG is disappointing. It's one of those things, I think at the youth level, they've worked really well. So uh, whether it's uh, PSG academies uh, in certain parts of the United States or um, outfitting a lot of the youth teams uh, with PSG jerseys, I see more of PSG on that level. Uh, from the press and kind of PR side, uh, it's been poor. I know, I know they came to Miami about a year ago or two years ago. Um, I got in touch with their PR person and just tried to see if we could uh, do some interviews or, or you mean, attend some of the, um, the training sessions, but uh, no response at all. So it seems to be that... Um, and, it, and, and these, it could be different for other uh, publications, but these are just our personal kind of experiences. And PSG is, to me is disappointing. It's kind of a company that's more so looking just to send out a press release, and that's kind of their PR involvement, it seems. What about Liverpool, Kartik? I'm underwhelmed by Liverpool's efforts in this country. Uh, they uh, they obviously have a, have had American ownership for a decade, uh, better American ownership the last seven years than the three years prior to that. Uh, but they they haven't done the type of marketing, uh, considering they had such a huge fan base to start with in this country. I think so much of their emphasis has been on uh, going to the Northeast, going to Boston, going to New York. Uh, they haven't really touched the rest of the country. There are not many youth teams, youth clubs associated with Liverpool FC that I see outfitted. Uh, I'm seeing uh, fewer and fewer Liverpool kits relative to other other European clubs. Uh, but then it seems like any um, match day that you're on Twitter, there are more Liverpool fans uh, vocal than just about any other supporters base. Uh, but I have to say, when we look at the television ratings from NBC, Liverpool doesn't have the same cachet now as uh, as the other big teams. Right, not like they used to. I mean, the one thing I would say about Liverpool is that they've done an excellent job of coming over to the States for a long time. I mean, it's like every couple of years, like clockwork, pretty much, uh, they're coming over to play friendlies. And not just friendlies, like one friendly here or one friendly there, like Arsenal. They're, they're doing um, major North American tours and, and oftentimes playing in Canada too. So they're, they're definitely um, kind of working it hard. Um, it's a challenge for them, but uh, they could be doing better, I agree. Kartik, what about your team, Manchester City? Yeah, obviously Manchester City may be the model. Uh, of, of course, it helps uh, when you win titles and, and you do the sorts of things that they've done on the on the pitch. Uh, they've invested in an MLS team. They own an MLS team. And, of course, uh, despite the claims when they uh, bought that team that it would have its own identity, it doesn't, right? It's, a, it's an extension of Manchester City. The kits look exactly the same other than being Adidas rather than Nike because uh, MLS, is you're required to have Adidas. Uh, every team has an Adidas kit. Uh, they come over to the States regularly. Uh, they interact with fans in the United States often through, through the uh, supporters groups and citizens. citizens. They even um, reached out to me when I was trying to start a Manchester City supporters group here in, uh, in Florida many, many, many years ago. Uh, this is before the takeover. Oh, no, 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 sorry. It was right after the takeover uh, of uh, – uh, no, I, I stand corrected. It was before the Abu Dhabi takeover, but when Shinawatra was um, uh, was the, the owner. So it was post – it was that, that one year in between. Very, very aggressive, uh, very aggressive in terms of uh, uh, promoting items uh, for the USA, e- even in their in- – 
their shop uh, in, and getting uh, a merchandise over to uh, to the American uh, consumer, American City fans. So they've done a very, very good job of that. The other thing about Manchester City, too, just like PSG, they've done an excellent job at the youth level, so the youth soccer level. Again, I, oh, yeah. I, I'm seeing tons and tons of teams that are just wearing Manchester City kits. Uh, and actually, the same thing for Bayern Munich. I've seen that, too, in terms of their association with some uh, some clubs. And it makes a lot of sense because you have, like, you mean, a minimum of, like, 11 pay- players on the pitch, usually a squad of 15. If you kind of do that through the entire club, you've got maybe perhaps potential, uh, uh, whether it's teens or, or younger that are children that could uh, turn into Manchester City fans later on, or at least it increases the awareness. And it also, in terms, it, it's impressive. It's when I go to, it's impressive in that uh, I'm like, wow, look at all these Manchester City shirts. And, and then I realize it's actually the, the youth soccer team kind of uh, going around and getting ready for their, for the cool. next match. Couple quick stories on this front. Uh, so, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a Boca Raton FC game uh, on a field at Cypress Park in Coral Springs. The very next field, there was a uh, a game going on, a youth game between a team wearing Byron ki- Byron kits and a team wearing Manchester City kits. Uh, so that's story number one. Story number two is actually Manchester City reached out to me uh, when they. Uh, started to outfit one of the youth teams here in South Florida and sent Mike Summerby over. Uh, brand ambassador, obviously one of the greatest players in club history. And I got to spend some time with Mike Summerby and they had, uh, they weren't, and it turned out they weren't just outfitting a team. They were outfitting an entire league in Miami. So every team in that league is where Manchester city kits. So that, that's, that's part of the aggressive marketing. I have to say on the PS. G front, they do this quite well. Also, we have a uh, local team in, in PDL, the fourth division here in the United States, where uh, they wear um, PSG kits, uh, FC Miami City, and they have a sponsorship with BN Sports, uh, which is obviously based locally, and they wear uh, PSG kits. So, speaking of kits and speaking of aggressive, I think I think Manchester United has done a a pretty good job in in, in the states in terms of marketing themselves. Uh, it's almost like a uh, its own engine in many ways in terms of the marketing campaigns, uh, coming over again every couple of years to play matches throughout the United States. Uh, in terms of their attendances at the games, it's all, almost always a sellout or pretty close to it. Uh, there's just legions of Manchester United supporters throughout the United States. Uh, always has been, but uh, I've seen growth. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people uh, becoming Man United fans. I see a lot of shirts around. Um, I don't think they're making too many mistakes. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I think it's a tough one to judge because it's that much easier to market Manchester United in this country than probably any other uh, side outside of Real Madrid. So um, I'd say they're doing pretty well, but they don't have to do a lot. They don't have to do what everybody else does. So what about uh, these three German clubs? Uh, I'm going to cl- uh, pull them all together, but uh, Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Schalke, and then Borussia Dortmund. What's your thoughts on these uh, in terms of uh, their marketing in the U.S.? Well, Leverkusen has had probably more standout American players probably than any other European club that I can think of. Maybe Fulham would be the other um, the the other uh, team that's in that uh, that that conversation historically. So that's um, that's a little bit of a a difficult one to assess because I think they those so many of those American players were there in an era before these games were readily available. Uh, so. They did not do the job maybe that they could have done to, to capture that kind of supporter space the way Fulham did. Fulham captured uh, a lot of, uh, of hardcore American soccer fans decided if they were going to support a European club, it was Fulham because of the number of Americans there. Leverkusen has had um, maybe not the concentration of Americans at one time, but historically probably as many if not more Americans than uh, than Fulham. But the last few uh, winter breaks, they've come over to the United States and uh, tried to market themselves in Florida, so I think they've improved. Schalke... Um, I'm not sure how well Schalke has marketed itself. Schalke is a club uh, I liken to being like the Spurs of, of uh, Germany, a club that's a hard luck club, working class supporters base, has finished second in the league a number of times since the Bundesliga uh, went fully professional, but not has not won the league. Uh, a, a club with a massive supporters base, uh, more members than I think any club outside of Borussia Dortmund and, and Bayern, which are clearly the, the two biggest clubs in the country. Uh, they, haven't, they haven't marketed themselves as well here as they, they should. I would like to see them do better because I think it's a, a fantastic club. It's a great club to, to kind of bond with. If, if you're a newer football fan, I, I have a little bit of a closeted uh, myself support for Schalke. Um, not fully closeted. I mean, the, the, 
thing with supporting Bundesliga clubs, though, for me has been um, by default I've become a, Bayer, uh, a Borussia Dortmund fan just because I want to see Bayern not win every year. But right. um, so my allegiances aren't very strong. But prior to that. This era of uh, a duopoly atop of the uh, Bundesliga, I, I quite fancied Schalke, and I don't think they've done a good enough job, honestly. Um, on to Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund has, uh, I think, had a couple things working for it. Obviously, most recently, Christian Pulisic. Uh, prior to that, I would say their deal with Puma has gotten them uh, featured in a lot of uh, soccer stores and merchandise stores, whereas if they were a Nike or Adidas brand, they'd be further down the pecking order for those uh, manufacturers. Uh, Adidas is very aggressive about promoting previously Chelsea, uh, now Bayern Munich in Germany. Uh, Nike, very, very aggressive about promoting uh, Barcelona, Manchester City, and, and now I would say uh, Chelsea as well. Uh, but Dortmund has been that other has been that kind of top Puma brand in this country. Now Arsenal's Puma, so they they fall into second. But Borussia Dortmund kits have shown up in a lot of places, and I think the colors is also very attractive. This is part of yeah. the attraction of Columbus Crew in the past. Uh, Dortmund also was able to get for many years uh, BVB television on uh, on American te- uh, yeah, on American yeah. Channel since Van Fubo more recently. So uh, I'd say they've done a pretty good job. Um, they have clearly established themselves as a club that uh, American fans are interested in. And again, I think part of it is the anti-Bayern thing, the, the, the desire to see someone in that league win other than Bayern. And, uh, and then the personalities of, of Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel. Here's something that's pretty significant about Borussia Dortmund versus other German clubs. They have their last three managers uh, have all been comfortable speaking on camera in English which is not the case even though most Germans know English and many Germans can speak uh, conversant English. They're not comfortable on camera in English. And uh, Klopp, Tuchel, and now Peter Bosch. Peter Bosch is obviously Dutch, and most Dutch people are, are uh, comfortable in English. But for, Ger- for uh, German uh, managers who never worked outside of Germany, Klopp and Tuchel were incredibly fluent in English and incredibly comfortable with doing interviews in English. To the point where you do the Bundes- you watch the Bundesliga review show, uh, which is dubbed into English. Uh, most of the interviews are dubbed into English, and then Klopp gives his interview and. In- then Klopp gets replaced by Tuchel. Tuchel gives his interview. They just give it in English. It's no translation, no dubbing. Uh, and I think that that has had a big impact on Borussia Dortmund's uh, favorability in the U.S. That they, they, and I think it's a club policy. The club has gone out of its way to give to have uh, people do interviews in English so that they can penetrate. Um, I mean, I guess the global market, in, including Asia, but the U.S. in particular, probably. Right. Yeah, my biggest complaint about the, these German teams, and, I, and actually I'll include uh, Bayern Munich in this too, of course, is that um, they don't come here that often. It's pretty rare that you, you get uh, Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich playing matches throughout the United States. They may play select games here and there, but um, I mean, where are these teams? I mean, obviously some of them have come over in winter well, breaks before, but this, this summer, uh, actually this winter, sorry, Kartik, um there's, there's not, not one German club, club coming over for the Florida Cup. There is rumors, uh, or there are rumors, that uh, Borussia Dortmund will play Bayern Munich in a friendly in Chicago uh, next summer, which would be huge. And, um, but Borussia Dortmund um, and Bayern Munich have been spending, uh, Borussia Dortmund more so, have been spending a lot of time in Asia, very, very little time in the United States. I think part of it is a byproduct of the German Cup and uh, that that first round of games being before the season begins. That's, uh, I think, a contributing factor. You have a, a, an actual competitive match for all of these teams a, a weekend before you do for other European leagues. Well, actually, in the case of Spain, maybe uh, two or three weekends before they actually kick off. So that's uh, a part of it, un- unfortunately. Yeah, um, but, a bit, but even in the winter break, though, I mean, usually they go to, what, Doha or the Middle East? I mean, Turkey. Right. There's an opportunity there for them to come over and do some um, friendly matches. For, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's cultural or just in terms of tradition, maybe it's tradition more so than anything, but they're not coming over as much as they should be. And, and there's other, obviously there's other Bundesliga clubs too, um, Mönchengladbach, uh, that could be attractive to the U.S. markets, but they're not coming here. It's just it's, It seems strange in terms of, 
especially when we're talking about all these other clubs in terms of Man City and Liverpool and PSG and how often these clubs come over to play uh, games in the United States. And that's a large part of the marketing campaign is, is having a presence, having, having fans be able to watch these matches. It makes a huge difference. Okay, Kartik, so uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, just real quickly before we go to that, I think you're absolutely right because uh, David Moyes, when he was the manager of Everton, brought Everton over a single – I think of his 11 seasons, brought him to the U.S. 10 times. There are a disproportionate number of Everton fans in the United States. Now, obviously, they've had some American players, but a uh, disproportionate number of Everton fans – uh, in the United States uh, compared to their global following. So that does, Everton's a test case, that does have a, uh, an impact. And the reason they came here is just because Moyes liked to train in the U.S. Yeah. The way other managers like to train in, in Central Europe or in Asia, he just liked the facilities here and would come here. Um, so that, that has an impact. Anyway, uh, you can find me on the internet at KKFLA737 uh, on Twitter and various places, including WorldSoccerTalk.com, uh, with my writing. Okay, well, well, we apologize for some of the technical difficulties we had in this show, so it's definitely a hiccup uh, with Skype today, uh, so hopefully things will be better for the next show. But uh, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.